everyone. It's Melanie Eisen and Sheila Lowenstein. Yes. And Two Teachers on a Train is back. Woohoo! I know you guys missed us so much and we missed our loyal listeners. And um, we have been busy, busy at schools and getting ready for the North American Jewish Day School Conference and you know, all the things that come with this time of the year in terms of Hanukkah and all kinds of fun stuff going on over here. But we did not forget about our loyal listeners. You should rest assured. Um, and we are happy, happy to be back. Um, Shira Lowenstein is in uh, Sharon, Massachusetts. And I am here in Virginia, where it snowed two flakes and therefore all evening activities have been canceled in the state of Virginia. Just kidding. So if you're if you're a listener and you're in the state of Virginia, <laughs> only, only local school functions have been canceled on the off chance we get more than four flakes of snow. Um, but she and I are super excited to be back. And we hope that if you were on winter break, um, that you had a restful and relaxing break. And for those of you whose break is upcoming in a couple weeks, we hope that that is a time for you to rest and relax and binge listen to Two Teachers on a Train. Absolutely. So our topic for this um, Two Teachers episode is connections. Um, of course, we are, like I said, we are all about the North American Jewish Day School Conference, at which time we hope that our loyal listeners will come and we will greet you with open arms and hopefully be able to have a cup of coffee with you to hear more about from our loyal listeners and what you are looking for each time that little number pops up in your purple um, app on your phone to say that you have a new episode of Two Teachers on a Train. So, Shira, what are you reading? Uh, well, t- uh, we just finished as a group in our office reading a book called Contagious by Jonah Berger. Uh, it's called Contagious, Why Things Catch On. And he is a professor uh, who t- taught a course about, you know, why are things engaged? What, what is, would make someone want to do something? Um, and so he wrote a book about it. And he breaks down what, how to make things viral, go viral, and in uh, an acronym that he calls STEPS, which are social currency, triggers, emotion, public, making things public, practical value, and stories. And his book is basically broken down into those six topics. They're they're each a chapter. And he talks about um, how to make your message or your product or whatever you're trying to get across uh, popular and be contagious. So it's it's an interesting read. I I um a lot of it is summed up on one page, page 209 in the book. Uh, but he has great anecdotes. And we actually listened to it in the car. That counts as reading, I'm sure. Uh, so we listened to it in the car, and it was, he has a lot of great stories. And uh, he does like a lot of these research projects that uh, you know, when you think about them, you're like, oh, that's so obvious. And we're always wrong um, about the nature, about human nature. So it's, it's an interesting read. It's a pretty quick read. Um, and it was very interesting to discuss with my colleagues because that's always fun. Yes, agreed. Um, I read it for the exact same book club. Um, and as I explained to my colleagues, it was my vacation book. So um, I don't always um, have a lot of time to read. And having a book that's a page turner in terms of the accessibility of it and the stories that he shares makes you want to say, oh, that's why that was so successful. From the Lululemon bags 
um, to the, you know, why one kind of blender was able to revolutionize blenders just by the way they advertise the blender. Um, and so, um, you know, how are ideas contagious? What makes them contagious is, is really um, an interesting piece and a very interesting read. So I would also suggest that you pick it up. Um, I also have been reading two articles that actually kind of sparked my interest just this week, and we'll put them in our show notes. Um, one was called what hashtag at one word. Um, and the other was called uh, the buffet effect. Um, how four strategies to encourage smart student choice in project-based learning. And I liked both of these pieces. Um, the buffet effect reminded me that when you give students choice, um, when you offer choice at all, you want to be careful that you don't have that buffet effect of there's too much in front of me. Think of a smorgasbord at a wedding, if you will. I have no idea what to pick. And so sometimes people, you see them, it's follow the leader. Well, if she picked that appetizer and that dessert, then I will too, because it's just too overwhelming for me. And the author, James Festers, um, says that, you know, when you think about creating projects, you know, and you're offering this students' choice, make sure that it's digestible and chunkable choices and not the sky's the limit. Um, he truly believes in the power of choice as we do, but in, there is a limit to how much choice you can offer kids before they just do what their friends are doing. And then it's too late to uh, take it back and start all over again. The other one, um, hashtag one word is there was um, another blog that I read last year called one little word, kind of finding your mantra, finding that one word that will spark you moving forward. So it's almost like a challenge. Say, what might your one word be and how might you reflect upon? it. Nice. Um, All right. So for this episode, we're actually going to talk about this idea of connection. Um, And as you heard at the very beginning, uh, Melanie and I do not live in the same place. And many people in our office do not live in the same place. We live sort of all over North America. And uh, we have to maintain connections. And I think that for, for you who are in schools, Oftentimes, you're in the same building as people, but it's hard to make those connections because your schedules don't align or when you do, you're, you're trying to catch up on this or there's a kid or, right, there's always some triage going on and it's hard to actually make meaningful connections. And so what, what, there are obvious, you know, social media and all of that, but what we, what we learned in Contagious is that as much as we think social media plays a role influencing people, it really doesn't. You know, it's sort of in one ear, out the other. Yes, people see it, but it doesn't actually influence them. And so we want to talk about meaningful connections and how to make those connections meaningful. And um, I read an article in the Harvard Business Review called The Neuroscience of Trust. And it's written by Paul J. Zak. And he talks about how uh, you really, there are eight management behaviors that foster trust, which are recognizing excellence, inducing challenge stress, giving people some, you know, a challenge that gives them a little bit of stress, but not too much, Uh, give people discretion and how they do their work, enable job crafting, share information broadly, uh, intentionally build relationships and facilitate whole person growth and show, show vulnerability. So those are his eight steps. And what he talks about is, one of the big quotes that he has is compared with people at low trust companies, or we can say schools, people at high trust schools report 74% less stress, 
106% more energy, 50% higher productivity, 13% fewer sick days, 76% more engagement, 29% more satisfaction with their lives, and 40% less burnout. So as we think about how we want to foster our schools and how we want to build those relationships, I think the basis for all of that is trust. Trust with your colleagues, trust with your supervisors, trust with parents. Really, everybody you interact with, you have to foster a trusting relationship. And, and I really would highly recommend reading his article. He, it's very readable. Um, and he really breaks it down into a science of how to build trust in your community. Yeah, that's amazing. I think that, you know, it's so important to to remember that, you know, there are ways to build connections, right? And sometimes in a school, especially in many of our schools, where you oftentimes have one class per grade level, there aren't many opportunities to kind of reach out and discuss ideas for your own grade level or, or, or curriculum ideas. And for those kinds of pieces, um, I'm a firm believer in building your social network, right? Reaching out to see who to follow on Twitter and who to, um, and who to, what, what groups to become a member of in Facebook and and what boards to pin on and follow on Pinterest, all of these places will help you to build up your social network and will help you to create a social community outside of the walls of your school. But that doesn't replace what happens inside the walls of your school, right? So taking the time to visit a co-teacher's classroom or to set up a face-to-face meetup with other teachers to have a book talk conversation as we did with Contagious, it, it was not a, it was not a big read. It was not, you know, a, a mind, a, a world lifetime, life-changing read. And the discussion lasted about 45 minutes and it gives you insight into who you're teaching with and who your partners are as well. Right. Um, and another and, idea. It, well, and, and the book contagious uh, definitely applies to what we do, but not necessarily directly. It's not a, it's not a one-to-one connection. We didn't read a book about, you know, teaching teachers. That was not a book. And, and I think part of that that um, tangential connection to what we do is very useful in in helping us to think about how we approach our jobs from different areas. And so, and we had people from all over the organization join in our book club and they weren't necessarily people that we interact with. I mean, Melanie and I clearly interact a lot, but there were other people there who don't interact with us. And you learn a lot about people and their perspective and how they're approaching their work through reading something like that. Right. I exactly. I, and I think that that's that it's important to think about how you can set up meetup times and face to face times with your colleagues within the school and both outside of the school around areas that touch your work. Maybe not as deeply, you know, not necessarily curricular based, but things that touch your work um, in cursory levels as well. Um, there was another article that I wanted to mention that I had been that I had read not long ago called "What Concerns Do You Have," and it. It was um, written by a woman named Pat Roy, and she talks about how if you are in a leadership role and you're listening to our podcast, that um, it's oftentimes those 90-second al-regulahad standing on one-foot conversations that help teachers even more, can help your colleagues even more with a certain question, right? Like, you know if you've brought in a professional development 
or if you have a specific issue with one child, that if you go up to the teacher to say, so tell me, how's it going? Just a very simple question. And your role as the person that asks the question, maybe as a colleague or maybe as a supervisor, is simply to listen, to look at them, to actively listen. The phone is not in your hand. You're not timing it, but you are actually listening to what they're saying. And you're nodding in appropriate moments. And But in your mind, your back of your mind, you're also taking notes to hear, well, if we brought in somebody who talked about differentiation and I'm hearing the teacher express some positive pieces of it and some frustrations and my follow-up as that person that asked the question is to say what can I do after this conversation is over to continue to show that I support this teacher in her work but the first step is to simply ask the question tell me how it's going and understanding that it's a it's a 90 second piece it just becomes a part of what you do on a daily basis you hit two or three teachers every day with the same type of question all of a sudden you're building that trust that wow they really care about how I feel about that particular piece or my administrator or my teacher leader or my co-teacher knows I had a hard time with this one particular student last week, and it's important to them how I'm feeling right now. Again, building that trust and building that connection. Melanie, um, Jane Taubenfeld-Cohen, who we're super fans of, um, yes. she recommended a video uh, by Simon Sinek. It's called Millennials in the Workplace, and he actually talks about that idea. You know, He said, when, you sit, when you're sitting and waiting for a meeting, everyone's looking at their phone or everyone's checking their email. Um, and even if they're not, they're like checking their email to see if they got new email, right? They're not, you know, like they're waiting for things to come. Um, he says it takes, it takes away that human connection. And he, it's a big, you know, for him, it's, it's a millennial problem. It's a problem with, with um, the younger generation. But I think that it also is a, a problem with everybody, right? It's sort of a habit. We become addicted to our phones. uh, And if you're sitting with a person and you're, and both of you are texting somebody who's not in the room, that that's kind of funny, right? You should, (laughs) he says like, no meeting should have a phone. You should put them away. He he even talks about like going out with his friends where they take one phone. He's like, cause obviously we need to take pictures of our food and call an Uber, but we only have one phone because we're hanging out as, as people face to face. And this idea that um, sometimes we let these these virtual relationships get in the way of our real relationships. I, it's a quick video to watch, and I think it really gets at this heart. Get at, gets at the heart of this idea where you really need to make the face to face connections. And in a school, there are people around all the time, but sometimes it's hard to make those connections. So I love this idea that you just raised of actually just stopping, really listening to them, being present, being in the moment, and and then following up. You know, not just like letting it hang there, but following up with them in a real meaningful way. Yeah, I love that. Um, in fact, I have become the bane to my children's existence for my, our loyal listeners. Um, I am at a different stage of life, that life than Shira is. She had to remind me earlier that she is a millennial and I am not. <laughs> Although in my heart I am, I think. But um, <laughs> but I have children who are millennials and um, I have a 16-year-old and an eight, a 19-year-old, sorry. And they um, hate it when I say this, but I have a no phone at the dinner table rule. And in the house, it's not that it's never been an issue. Um, but when we are out at restaurants or we are out at friends' houses or wherever we are and their cousins or their friends are allowed to have their phones out and they are not, I put my foot down with it because they're going to miss it 
right? They're going to miss that conversation with their grandparents or their cousins that they simply cannot have every day. And then they're not present. And that is who you, people see who you are. Um, and so that particular piece in which he talked about the phones really resonated with me personally, both as a professional and as a parent. Um, and the other piece I wanted to, to just cap personally mention is the connections you make with your students on a daily basis, right? When your kids come in in the morning or when they come in to whenever you're teaching them, are you, where are you in the classroom? What is your focus? You know, Shira and I have visited a lot of classrooms and have taught almost as many classrooms as well. <laughs> and it was always a big deal to me, both as a classroom teacher and as somebody that works with classroom teachers, where is your where is your focus when those kids come in? Because if you're sitting in front of your computer and you're still checking email or you're finishing up a text or whatever it is that you're doing, which you, you know, is important and probably should be doing, the focus should be on the kids. So greeting them at the door, if you're standing at the front of the room, making sure that you're making those connections. There was another piece that I read not long ago about the attendance question, a way to, you know, almost like a morning message type of deal, but in a much shorter way, you know, what, what might be a question that you could ask might not necessarily have anything to do with what you're going to be talking about that particular day, but it's a way for everybody to breathe for a couple of minutes and think, reflect on something as simple as, you know, what did you think of this movie or have you seen this movie or, you know, um, comment on the color of the sky today, whatever it can be, can be very, very random. Um, but it's a way to inspire conversation and, and sort of relax the room and make those positive connections with your students as well. So, uh, just last month, or I don't even know what month it is. I think it was last, yeah, last month, December, Melanie and I, uh, were in Montreal together and we were participating in the, uh, BJAC day for all of the schools in Montreal, the Jewish day schools and teachers come from all the different schools and, and they go to a one day workshop and they choose the topic. And so I gave a workshop on um, morning meeting in the high school or upper school classroom. And Melanie did a workshop on morning meeting in the lower school classroom. And the idea that you, you know, when a kid walks in, you greet them and they actually connect with you and they connect with their other students is not revolutionary. It's not novel. And the teachers that we were working with had amazing examples of how they already use morning meeting concepts. The idea of really being responsive, it's called responsive classroom, being responsive to the needs of the kids who are sitting in front of you. And even in high school where, where subject is king, right? You are, um, when people say, what do you teach? You say math. You, rarely do people say I teach 10th grade or I teach, right? They tell you the subject because subject is king. Um, but even in that, uh, good, thoughtful teachers are already doing this, helping their kids to make connections between one another and between themselves. And the workshop we gave was giving them more ideas on how to do this, more examples. Um, but I, I'm sure that if you are not doing it, look around your school because there are people who are making connections. And that's really how we make an impact in our kids' lives. For sure. For sure. So, Shira, do you have an anecdote to finish us off with today? That was my anecdote. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Um, so I have an anecdote as well. That was a wonderful anecdote. Thanks. Thank you so much for sharing. Um, so mine is a little bit different and, and it's a little bit uh, in that um, oftentimes when people see me coming into their schools, they teachers will pull me aside at a certain point and they'll say, well, I, I really wish 
you know, I could do what you're doing. I guess the idea of being on endless planes, trains, and automobiles looks glamorous. And it did to me too first. And not that I'm complaining about my work. I love my work. Um, and I feel very honored and lucky to work with such talented educators as Shira. But it doesn't just happen, right? I think oftentimes when you see teachers going to um, professional development sessions, or you see people going to conferences, or you see two teachers on a train creating a podcast. These things happen because somebody took initiative. And when I was being trained on differentiated instruction, I took the initiative to say, I think I could do this. I think I could give professional development and started to train in how to do that. So building those connections, both within the walls of your school, seeing what you can do to build your own capacity within your school by building those connections is huge. You never know what turn might come because of connections that you've made. Um, so Shira and I want to thank you all so much for listening to us. It yes. means so much to us. But before you go, we're going to do one more shameless plug for the Prisma North American Jewish Day School Conference, which is coming up February 5th through 7th, and it will be in Chicago, Illinois. And the pricing goes up in 10 days, so why pay more? Come now. Um, yes. Seriously, it's a really amazing conference. You will meet as I always like to say, it's your current bosses, your future bosses, your your whoever, like your past colleagues, your future colleagues, everybody who you want to be connected with is all in one room. Um, and you can meet us for real. And please, if you're there, come find us. Tell us you love the show and tell us what you want to hear. Yes, please. And if you are listening and you are a Chicago Jewish Day School teacher, Teacher Day is happening Sunday, February 5th in the morning from 9 to 12. And my hero and yours, AJ Giuliani, is going to be the keynote speaker for the teachers. It's $18 for a full morning, complete, complete. So please come, 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 you Chicago teachers. You know how to drive in February in Chicago. I'll even cover the price of your parking. So we really want to see all of you there. Um, please don't hesitate to reach out with any questions or comments. And thank you again for listening. Have a great day.